Welcome to Peak City Church. We pray that this message fills you with hope and encourages you wherever you are. Also, follow us on social media at Peak City Co. to stay connected with us. Be blessed. My goodness gracious. That was amazing. Can we get up for my man Jared leading us in worship day and the voice? Come on. Got the voice of a, I would say an angel, but that's not an angel. That's like a, that's a deep, burly angel. I'd do anything to have his voice. Um, Joseph said the same. I ribbed on him last service for saying that. I ain't gonna rib on him again. We love Joseph's voice too. Um, so thrilled to have you with us. Uh, before, before I jump in, I do want to um, take a second and just acknowledge uh, our Heart for the House offering that we did over the past couple months. If you were with us, you know we talked a lot about growing a heart for this house, a heart for what God is doing here at Peak City and doing whatever we can to continue to see that life change, right? We said that our stories of life change and growth are outpacing our giving, and that's a, that's a problem we gotta solve. And so we asked you to pray about giving and uh, just wanted to give you a, a celebration report on that, that in the month of June, uh, we saw our overall giving and the number of people giving to our church increase by about 10% in the month of June, which is incredible, it's beautiful. It's awesome, huge step in the right direction. So thank you for giving. Um, if you want to still jump in on that, you still can. Peakcityco.com is where uh, we do all of our giving. We got wall boxes in the back of the room as well. Um, you, it's, it's never too late to jump in. We put a fake deadline on that heart for the house thing. That was a, that was a fake deadline. It's not like we're gonna be like, no, we won't take your giving. Um, but like legit, it's, it's just one of those things we gotta keep, um, you know, we'll never pass a plate around here and make you feel weird and like guilt you into giving, uh, but it will be something we have to talk about on a regular basis because um, God is just doing so much here and there's so much opportunity in front of us. So thank you for stepping up to the plate in that. If you have a, a Bible and you wanna get there, we're in Acts chapter nine. Um, this is the last message that we're gonna do in this collection of messages that we've called Welcome to the Movement, where we've been talking about what is the movement of Jesus all about, right? The church, this, this thing that has all these confusing things associated with it, confusing things attached to it. And uh, we've been talking about what did, what did Jesus from the earliest onset, like the earliest followers of Jesus, what, what, like, what was this thing supposed to be about from the beginning? And that's been great. Right, that's been great. Today, though, I wanna change gears as we, as we bring this time to a conclusion. We're gonna end in Acts chapter nine. We might come back to Acts chapter 10 at some point in the fall. But we're gonna end this in Acts chapter nine. And instead of talking about us, like us, the church, and who we're supposed to be, I wanna talk about you, all right? Because us is made up of a bunch of yous, right? And I wanna to talk to you today about how God wants to work in your life, how he already is working in your life, and how I believe he wants to continue working in your life. You see, if you've been tracking with us through Acts, you see, like, there's so many amazing things happening in Acts, right? Like, you have miracles and people giving their lives to Jesus and like thousands getting baptized. There's like this amazing move of God happening, but there's something bigger happening that's like an overarching theme, right? If you skim it, you might miss it, right? Like my son, my, my 10-year-old son, uh, Emmett, he did a book report this past um, spring on uh, Zebulon Pike. Now, if you're not a Colorado native, you don't know who he is, but you can surmise by the last name Pike 
that he is the one who we've named our mountain after, right? Pike's Peak. And so he did this book report on Zebulon Pike, and it was great, man. I, I read it before he turned it in, and I was like, man, you got so many good details about his life and his dad and his wife and his kids and his education. But what was not in the book report at all was anything about Pike's Peak. <laughs> I'm like, child, I skimmed books in elementary, middle school, and high school as well. I can tell, okay? I can tell you didn't really read it. You gotta put something in there about Pike's Peak. If you skim Acts, you ain't gonna catch it. But if you just read it, it's easy to see that while God's doing all these amazing things, the movement is facing opposition. The move of God is not able to freely go forth. It is facing a ton, a ton, a ton of opposition. And that opposition is spearheaded by a man named Saul. All right? And I want to talk to you today. It's a story that many of you have maybe heard before. If you're new to church, uh, you, you, you might not have heard this. Buckle up. Uh, we're going to talk today about the, the story of Saul. It's one of the most amazing, miraculous stories of life change that you will ever read about. It's unbelievable. Saul's conversion. But what's funny about this <clears throat> is that, uh, so like, I didn't grow up going to church. Um, I came to faith at 17 and started reading the Bible. Like the first time I ever read the Bible, honestly, this is bad, hate to admit this is, might, might make you like lower your respect for me. The first time I ever really read the Bible is when I started going to Bible college to be a pastor. Not a great combo. <laughs> but like my first class in college was on the book of Acts and I had never read the book of Acts. So I step in, I start reading it, and we get to Acts 9, I'm like, whoa, this is amazing, this guy named Saul who was like the spearhead of the opposition, he hated the movement of Jesus, and all of a sudden, we're going to see he's like miraculously and just amazingly converted, and his life has changed, and I read that, and I thought, well, man, I bet this is the story that the church loves to tell, right? Like, I bet this is the story that every church, like every Sunday is like, hey, we're going to talk about a few other stories, but we're going to end in Acts 9, because this is amazing, but what I found was very different. What I found was that the church didn't really talk about Acts 9 all that much. In fact, what I saw is that most Christians and most churches treated Acts 9 and the conversion of Saul like it was an exception, not the norm. Like it was nice of God to work in Saul's life like that, but he doesn't work in our lives like that. And I want to dunk on that thought today. Um, I want to step all over it today. Because I believe with all of my heart, and I think you're going to see it, that the way that God moved in Saul's life is an outline for how he is and wants to continue moving in your life. That's why the title of my message today is not Saul's Road to Damascus. Like, have you seen your Bible? In, in Acts 9, it says, like, Saul on the road to Damascus, the road that, that, to, to the city where his life was changed. Or it, it, it may even say Saul's Road to Damascus. See, the title of my message today is not Saul's Road to Damascus. It's your road to Damascus. It's what God wants to do in your life. I want you to see this extreme, crazy story, and I want you to find yourself in it today. I want you, you to see that God's actually working in your life just like he worked in Saul's life. We sang it before. He's the same God. You ready for it? Acts 9. We're going to start in verse 1. <clears throat> it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, if he found any Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Pause. <clears throat> the road to Damascus. Um, Saul 
was actively persecuting anyone who says they believe in Jesus. He was actively trying to figure out a way to arrest them and bring them and and eventually execute them. And he thought he was serving God. He thought he was doing God a favor. And actually, he was going the completely wrong way. You see, this is it. Your road to Damascus. It's just like Saul's. It's just like Saul's. You must understand the first step in your journey on your road to Damascus, you must understand just like Saul did, that you were going the wrong way. You were going the wrong way. Saul was going the completely wrong way, and you were too. And, and, and for some of us, for some of us, that's a lot easier to admit, right? <laughs> like for me, I could admit it easy, right? Uh, I, was, I, was having, I was having a meeting this week with a friend of mine, and uh, we were just, you know, exchanging stories, just getting to know each other, and he was telling me, like, man, you and I got the same story, and we were vibing. And it was like a great meeting. We were vibing. He's telling me about his story, and like, he didn't grow up in church. He came to faith when he was like late in high school. He sold drugs in high school. I was like, man, we are like brothers. We are the same here. This is amazing. And it's easy for a guy like me to be like, yeah, I was going the wrong way, <laughs> right? I was the guy that when I showed up to church, the youth group, most of the people were like, man, this youth group's really going downhill. <laughs> really need to clean up the clientele list here. <laughs> You know, like everyone, like, I, I was the party guy. I was chasing girls. I was doing everything a teenager shouldn't do. So sure, I was going the wrong way, but, but that's easy for me. For many of you in the room, especially if you grew up in church, it's a little more difficult to see. It's a little more difficult to admit that you were going the wrong way. I think many of us convince ourselves, and we, we adopt this lie from the enemy, that your life might have been going slightly in the wrong direction. Right, it's not, like nobody in here claims to be perfect. No one's a psycho like that. But you were pretty good. You were just going slightly in the wrong direction. I was picking up a, um, a friend of mine from the airport. This was about a year ago. And uh, I was enjoying some time in the car with no kids to tell me what songs to listen to. If you're a parent of young kids. I, <laughs> my kids, I'm trying to, y'all, I'm trying to expose them to good music. I'm trying to expose them to good hip-hop, good R&B, good country. I'm trying to expose them to good stuff. And then they get in the car and they make awful requests, like horrible requests. Like, Dad, can we listen to like Imagine Dragons? And I'm like, oh, God. You can no longer bear the name Kinder. That's it. We're done. This family allegiance, it's over. (laughs) So I'm just enjoying some time in the car, like no kids, no DJing. It's just I get to listen to what what, what, what I want to listen to, right? So I'm, I'm on my way to Denver airport, and my friend texts me, hey, I'm here, where are you? I was like, oh man, where am I? <laughs> and I just happened to barely miss my turn, my exit, right? It's just a little deviation. And then I saw a sign that says, Boulder, this way. <laughs> it's like, oh no, I have gone on the opposite side of Denver, and now I have a lot more songs to listen to on my own on the way back. So you think you're going just a slightly bit in the wrong direction. You know, if your marriage gets a few degrees off, Fast forward five years and you end up worlds apart. Your life gets a, gets a little bit off track. Fast forward a few years, it's a lot off track. See, some of y'all, I think, I think God sent me here today for some of you so that I could tell you, you think you're a good person. You think you're crushing it. You think you're doing great, but you're a few degrees off and you were a few degrees off. And, and that is just as bad as the drug dealer on the corner. It doesn't say that only the drug dealers have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It says that all have. <laughs> See, it's easy for me. My, my, my wife, Brittany, and I talk about this all the time because like for me, 
It was easy for me to see in my life. For her, though, she was raised in church, straight A's, accomplished athlete, had the trophies, everything was good, right? Right, she, she was good. Slightly off, though, because what started to develop in her, and this happens to so many people who grow up in church, so many people who grow up in church, what started to develop in her was this superiority, this self-righteousness, this looking down on anyone that isn't like her, that didn't, that's not as good at life as she is. And let me tell you, nothing will land you further away from the heart of God than the sin of self-righteousness. Nothing will have you farther away from your heavenly father than thinking you're better than somebody else. See, she, slightly in the wrong way, but it's in the exact same place as everybody else. See, if you, again, this is your road to Damascus. If you want to embrace the life that God has for you, if you want to experience Jesus, life to the full, you have to come to a place where you're willing to say, Jesus, I was going the wrong way. And all my accomplishments and all my achievements, it didn't add up to anything. I was going the wrong way. You know, that's why, that's why some of you all don't have a fire that's lit inside of you when we sing about forgiveness and grace. It's because you haven't really understood how wrong of a way you were going. When you embrace that you were going the wrong way and you hear about the unconditional love of your heavenly father, you can't help but clap. You can't help but raise your hands. You can't help but shout because, oh my gosh, it's unbelievable. <laughs> you were going the wrong way. You were going the wrong way. This is your road to Damascus. You were going the wrong way until, until God stepped in. This is your road to Damascus. You were going the wrong way until God stepped in. Look with me in verse three. It says, as he saw near Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul, they stood there speechless. They, had, they heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul, he got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. And so they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days, he was blind and he did not eat or drink anything. God stepped into his life in a powerful way. And, but, but here's the thing, Saul, he was, he was killing Christians a few days before. And now he realizes, oh no, I've been killing the followers of the one who is actually God. However, at this point, he has nobody, right? He's stuck. He's blind. He has no food. He has no, he has no place to stay. And none of the followers of Jesus are going to trust him. So God wakes up a man who lives in Damascus named Ananias. He says, hey, Ananias, I need you to go to this house and you're going to meet Saul. He's like, Saul? He's like, yeah, Saul. Saul, the guy who killed Christians? Yeah, Saul, the guy who killed Christians. And I want you to go and I want you to pray for him. <laughs> and Ananias is like, uh-uh, I ain't doing that. You lost your mind? <laughs> that dude kills kills people like me. I ain't gonna lay my hands on him. If I lay hands on him, I'm gonna do something else. I'm gonna pray for him. And, and God says to Ananias in verse 15, he says, but the Lord says to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And Ananias liked the sound of that. So he went to the house <laughs> and he entered it. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up, and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. 
So you were going the wrong way until God stepped in. And you read this and you go, I mean, yeah, he stepped in Saul's life. He blinded him on a road. <laughs> I mean, just kind of like forced himself into Saul's life. Sure, that'd be great, right? Must be nice, you know? But that's not how God's worked in my life. And I would go, really? Really? You might need to look again. Like when I tell my kids to go clean their room or go clean the yard and they come back a minute later and like, it's clean. I'm like, really? <laughs> I told my kids to clean the yard a couple days ago and they came, they came like, done. I went out there and there were shreds of aluminum foil all over the yard. These kids are monsters. It's like, what are you even doing? What game is this? It's not clean. Really? Like, you think that this is extreme? You think that God doesn't work in your life like this right now? Really? You need to look again. Because you think this is extreme. But I would say it's just as extreme as your wife giving you six, seven, eight, nine chances when she could have left you a decade ago. Sounds about the same to me. You think this is extreme. <laughs> But yet here you are, you were sitting in your recliner. Some of you can remember the day you're sitting in your recliner. Your income was so set. Your family's looking so good. Everything's good. You got the job. You got it all. And you were sitting in the middle of everything you'd ever worked for. And deep down, you still felt incomplete. You still felt like there's got to be more to life than this. And you try to tell me that's not the voice of God blinding you in the middle of your cush life to get you to see that you were created for more. It's the exact same thing. Some of you, you think it's extreme for Paul to be, Saul to be blinded on the road to Damascus, but yet God just happened to place the right mentor into your life at just the right time? Huh? He placed the right person in your life at just the right time to help you see the error of your ways, to help you get to Jesus? Are you kidding me? Like for me, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't two pe for, for two people. A, a, a guy named Ben who kept inviting me to church over and over and over and over, and, and we were not friends. He just kind of showed up in my life, and I found out later on that God had told him, God had put me on his heart and said, you need to help that kid get to Jesus. I didn't do Ben wasn't even thinking about me. We didn't run the same circles. And, and then and Ben and then Brittany. Like when I met Brittany, the woman who's now my wife, I'm like, that girl must have been on her road to Damascus moment. She must have been blind as a bat when she said yes to me. There ain't no, I can't explain that. I was the punk kid that nobody trusted in the youth group. And all of a sudden there's this amazing girl who's like, oh, man, I've really got the hots for that dude. Like, Do you see what I see? I did not. I don't know why a Christmas carol just popped in my head. <laughs> that didn't happen for service. Um, I can't explain it though. Like, I can't, I can't wrap my head around it other than to say, God stepped into my life. Some of you are here right now. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Just the fact that you are in a church right now is proof that God is after you. God has stepped into your life. Do you understand how stupid crazy that is? You said yes to an invitation to church in the 21st century. Half these churches out here are crazy. And you're like, hey, I don't know, man. I got invited to this church. Something, something in me thinks I need to go check it out. You drove by and said, man, I saw this church with a huge P logo on the front. I don't know. I'll just walk in there and not know anybody and just see what's going on. It's God stepping into your life. You wouldn't be here 
If, you, if, if, you, if, if God wasn't actively involved in orchestrating things and pursuing you, I'm telling you, just like he was in Saul's life, just like he stepped in in a powerful way, he has stepped in your life in a powerful way. You just need to look again. When you look back on your life and you can see the, the, the fingerprints of God all over your circumstances, it'll change your level of gratitude. It'll change the way you love people. It'll change the way you read scripture. It'll change the way you pray. You just need to look again. See, you were going the wrong way until God stepped in. And now, just like Saul, again, this is your road to Damascus. You were going the wrong way until God stepped in, and now you've got world-changing potential. You got world-changing potential inside of you. Look at verse 19. It says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished. And they asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem (laughs) among all those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them all as prisoners to the chief priests? But yet Saul grew more and more powerful and he baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. The greatest enemy of the movement of God becomes the greatest missionary for the movement of God. The greatest foe of the movement becomes the greatest friend and ally to all who follow Jesus. It's unbelievable. And and, and again, if you've been in church, you know this. If you're new, welcome to this. Saul became Paul. Saul became Paul, the writer of three-fourths of the New Testament. Saul became Paul, the one who who wrote theology that scholars 2,000 years later are still trying to wrap their heads around. Saul became Paul, who wrote the instructions for guys like me to figure out how to lead churches like this. Saul became Paul, and I'm telling you, his impact far outlasted his life. From a man who was killing Christians to now empowering them and reaching people for Jesus. And I I love it, preaching the gospel in such a powerful way that it was baffling people, baffling them, right? He's like, I'm a, it it doesn't say I inspired people to follow Jesus. It doesn't say that I I, um, tricked people into thinking that Jesus was God. It said I proved to them. That's how powerful his preaching was. And you go, wow, man, that's awesome. But again, you excuse it, good for, good for Saul. Right? But I'm not going to write any letters that people read 2,000 years from now. Right? I'm not, I'm not going to lead churches and do all the things that he did. No, no, no. Come on. Do you, think, do you think Saul, who became Paul, actually thought that you and I would be reading his letters 2,000 years later? <laughs> I guarantee you when we get to heaven and meet him, he's going to be like, oh, I'm embarrassed. You guys are reading my early work. <laughs> I was not all that good at writing back then. Oof. I'm telling you, like, if you, if you went back in the annals of P.D. Kinder history, I'd be so embarrassed if you saw some of my early sermons. Like, the, the, the very first sermon that I ever preached, um, I, I, I walked off stage, and I walked straight to my wife and said, hey, how'd it go? And she was like, well, it can, it can only go up from here. <laughs> and that's how I knew I had the right one. Because she wasn't wrong. <laughs> she wasn't wrong. You don't know how God's going to use your life. You don't know what he's gonna use your faithfulness to do. I I, I think God sent me here for somebody today to hear this, that your impact is going to outlast you. The legacy you leave behind is is gonna impact people far beyond anything you could ever imagine. I was talking to a volunteer from uh, Peak City Kids this past week. She, uh, She serves in the nursery, rocking babies, right? Best job in the church until they cry. No. Um, 
I say, hey, you, like, thank you so much for serving, but also you need to understand what you're doing for the church and the impact of what rocking that baby for an hour could do long-term, right? You rocking that baby could give a young couple who hasn't had enough sleep in days, weeks, months, a breather to go and hear a message that God loves you and God sees you and God cares for you and could give them the courage to keep going. You rocking that baby might actually save a marriage, which then impacts the child for the rest of their lives. You, you rocking that baby, like you just don't know. You might be the thing that's keeping a, a single mom standing because she can come and drop her baby off for an hour and not have to pay for it. Like you, you rocking that baby might be the thing that's keeping the wife whose husband is deployed away from depression so she can get a little bit of a break. Like you don't know. And then, I mean, forget the parents for a second. You don't know who that baby's gonna end up being, right? You might be rocking the next lead pastor of Peak City Church. <laughs> You might be rocking the next business leader who's gonna start something in the city that changes the city. You, you might be carrying and, and rocking to sleep a baby that's gonna be the next artist that influences the culture of our city. You just don't know. I'm telling you, God, God wants to use your life. He wants to use your impact. He wants to use you in such a powerful way, far beyond what you could ever imagine. You have world-changing potential inside of you. And it don't matter the season. It don't matter the season of life you're in. I got, I got, you know, uh, I was just talking to him right before service. Ed, if you know Ed and Pam, if you don't, it's all good, but man, you need to get to know them. They're an older couple in our church and they've made it their mission that they're just gonna invest in young marriages. And I'm telling you, what Ed and Pam are doing, I talk to many young couples in our church and when I hear them say, oh, you haven't been up to Ed and Pam's house for dinner? I'm like, yeah, you have, of course you have. Because this is what Ed and Pam do. And their ministry is going to far outlast them. Them raising up and building these, these marriages is gonna impact generations that never even know Ed and Pam, right? It don't matter the season you're in. I got a friend of mine here with me this week named Ashley. He, he, uh, he and I struck up a friendship over the last year and he's entering into a season that many of you are, are in or about to enter into, which is uh, he's about to send off his, his youngest child to college, right? And that season of parenting is about to end. That's right, he's clapping for it. Heck yeah. Life's about to get a little bit cheaper. Um, but I just love him so much that his, his heart and his desire, he feels called to start using the wisdom and the stories that God has given him over the past 20, 30 years to start writing, to start speaking, to start preaching. And so we're spending a couple days together getting that started for him and helping him learn how to do this and help him develop messages because he knows that he's not done. He knows he's got more. I think God wants to say to somebody in here today that you've got more. You have more. I don't care what season of life you're in. God has more to do through you. He has more to do in you. You've still got world-changing potential. If you're not dead, God is not done with your life. But, here's a big old but. Only if you will honor the last part of your road to Damascus. See, you were going the wrong way until God stepped in, and now you've got world-changing potential, if you'll honor this last part, with the right people in your corner. You have world-changing potential inside you, but you need the right people in your corner. It jumped off the page of me as I was reading this. Look at Acts 9, this is the last verses we'll read, 23. It says, after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But my, my man Saul was preaching so strong that he already had enemies. 
He already had haters. But Saul learned of their plan, and day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing he was really a disciple. You know, the whole murder thing. But Barnabas, <laughs> Barnabas was in his corner. Barnabas took him in and brought him to the apostles. He told him how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And so Saul stayed with them and he moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews and they tried to kill him. And when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and they sent him off to Tarsus to do more ministry. And then the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and they were strengthened living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. See, Saul, amazing life change story. Amazing. I mean, he was going the wrong way until God stepped in. And then he showcased this world-changing potential. He became this powerhouse preacher, but he never would have gotten there without the right people in his corner. I mean, just think about it. Go back through what we've read over the past 20 minutes together. He had people who walked him by the hand as a blind man into the town of Damascus. Couldn't have, couldn't have made it anywhere without them. He had Ananias who was skeptical of him, but then overcame his skepticism to meet with him, pray for him, feed him, and baptize him. He had the disciples who brought him in early on to teach him about what following Jesus was all about. He had the, the, the followers of Jesus who protected him when people were trying to kill him. He had Barnabas, a leader who believed in him and vouched for him when no one else would. And he had the church who then commissioned him to go off and do ministry in Tarsus. He never would have realized his full potential without the right people around him. If you're going to actualize and realize this world-changing potential, you've got to have the right people in your corner. God causes life change. God causes life change, but God's people sustain that life change. God puts purpose deep into your heart, and it's God's people that call it out. It's God's people that say, hey, I see this in you. You need the right people in your corner. Uh, two weeks ago, I was, in, I was in Wyoming for a week. I had a, it was like a bucketless moment for me. Um, I had the chance to lead a, a group of pastors on a, on a pastor's retreat that I'd been on for several years um, in Montana and then this year, Wyoming. Yeah, that, that's the picture. Of but, so I'd, I'd been a, a participant on this trip before, but this is the first year I got to like lead a trip and kind of handpick some guys from around the country that, that I know, guys that are just like good, faithful ministers preaching and have never been on anything like this before. And it was like the ultimate like testosterone increasing trip. Right? If you got low T, you need to go to Wyoming and ride a horse and smoke a cigar. <laughs> Shooting guns, fly fishing, it was unbelievable. Right? And so it was like a bucket list moment for me to, and a lot of these guys have just meant a lot to me over the years. But like, I wanna call your attention to one guy here in the middle, uh, camo shirt, bald head, Mr. Clean. Um, that man is a legend. And y'all don't know him, you're gonna get to know him. He'll come here and preach at some point in the future. I'm gonna speak that into existence. This is the man who was the lead pastor of the church that led me to faith. So it was the first lead pastor I ever sat under. First guy I ever, like, I mean, I listened to him preach week after week after week, and I didn't even know what preaching was. And his, his teaching and preaching just shaped me so much. And he's, he's a legend. I mean, he's led all over the country. He's led churches of, you know, as small as 100, 200, up to 35,000 people. I mean, he's just a, he's a leadership beast. And the thing I love the most about him is that 
he has been in ministry for a long time and been through a lot of difficult seasons and he's still sweet and kind and has fun and believes the best. I guess it's hard, it's hard to be in this game that long and not develop a bitterness. And uh, he still has it. And so I, um, I invited him to come on this trip as a kind of a trip mentor for all of us younger guys. And um, I got some time with him. We're sitting at this lake. You can put that lake picture up there, this view. We're sitting right there. It's like, oh, Wyoming, good Lord almighty. It ain't Colorado, but it's close. We're sitting right here and I had to take a picture of it so I could just remember where I was when I had this conversation with him. Um, and I asked him all kinds of questions. Just, I feel like I was at the feet of ministry Yoda and I had to just like let him teach me. But one of the questions I asked him, I said, hey, if you were me leading a church like ours, church of about a thousand people growing, coming out of COVID, new building, all this baptisms, amazing stuff, what would you do if you were me? And um, he said a few things that I'll never forget. I've got them written down. I'm, gonna, I'm not, not going to share every detail of it with you. But he said, the most important thing I can tell you, though, Petey, is that it's so important at this point in the life of your church and going forward for you and your staff and your people to be relationally connected. It's like, if you're gonna accomplish all that God wants you to accomplish, you need each other. And the temptation is gonna be when more people come through the doors and you have more baptisms and more first timers, you're gonna, the, the, the temptation will to be less connected. And then he said this, and I was like, man, you're like, it's like you know Peak City and you've never even been there. He said, I, he said, I bet you've got a church full of people um, where there's kind of two camps. There's people that have been there for a long time and have seen it through a ton of change. And they probably walk in and, and the thing you probably hear from them is, man, I love what's going on, but I don't really know anybody anymore. And then you got a whole group of other people who've been there for like probably less than a year, year and a half. And they all say, man, I love what's going on here, but I don't really know anybody. You see? And I was like, man, that's, that's dead on. That's dead on, Pixie. That's what I hear every single Sunday in the lobby. It's like, we, we know we're on mission together. We love what God's doing, but we're just not as tight-knit as we were pre-COVID. I think this is one of the, the biggest things the pandemic did to us is that it destroyed our previous communities. We had close-knit friendships before and it was easy. And then COVID happened and for some reason it got weird, it got hard and we moved and people changed jobs. And, uh, and all of a sudden we come out of COVID and we don't have our previous community and we're all too tired to build new community. It's like, we don't have any close friends anymore and we also are too tired to make new ones. And that's a really tricky middle ground to live in. And... Um, you know, I, I just want you to know, like for me, like when I see that, when he, when he put his finger on that issue for me, and I had been sensing for a while, I was talking to Derek and our staff about this a lot. It's like, I just, I see it that it's on me, like as your leader, it's on me to make sure that we fix that, that we, that we go from, we never stop reaching people. We never, it's, like, it's not like we're gonna, we're, we're gonna all of a sudden become this like inclusive church. It's like insiders club, <laughs> but it's on, it's on us to create an environment where we can grow and be relationally connected. And so you're going to see us do things in the fall that's like, I don't know if it's going to work. We'll see. <laughs> We're going to throw, throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. Like, we'll do things like, you'll probably see us do like a men's night, a women's night, a family night. I don't, we might grill out burgers and dogs after second service and whoever wants to stay and eat, stay and eat. I don't know. We're going to try stuff to just create environments where we can be relationally connected together. But I want to say this. I want to cut through the church crap for a second. We could program the snot out of this thing. And it won't make a bit of difference if you and I, again, forget us, it's about you. If you don't put yourself out there and risk relationship again. I can give you all kinds of environments. We could provide all kinds of times for you to meet people. But if you don't risk 
putting yourself out there, if you don't risk turning to the person that you met during meet and greet and after this service say, hey, do you want to go get coffee sometime? If you don't risk going out in the lobby afterwards and saying, I don't know this family, but I'm going to go up and say, hey, I've never seen you before. What's your name? If you don't risk going to culture class for three weeks and tracking with the same people and just meeting, if you don't risk getting into a small group that, FYI, you might not like. I have people all the time like, I joined a small group. It just didn't work for me. I didn't, didn't really like it. I'm like, yeah, join the club. <laughs> I saw someone put online the other day, Jesus uh, had 12 close friends as an adult, and that might have been his greatest miracle. but you've got to risk rejection. You've got to risk it, it, it being awkward. You've got to risk to put yourself out there in order, to be, in order to find the right people to be in your corner. That's what I'm saying is on the line. Obviously, I want our church to be the most family feel. I want it to be amazing. Yeah, yeah. Forget us. Think about you. If you want to accomplish all that God has for your life, you can't do it alone. You need people. You need family. You need somebody that's going to grieve with you when it's sad. You need somebody that's going to listen when life is complicated. You need somebody that's going to pop open the best bottle of wine they got when everything's going good. You need the right people in your corner. This is your road to Damascus. This is it. This is how God is working in your life and wants to continue working in your life. You were going the wrong way until God stepped in. And now you've got world-changing potential with the right people in your corner. It's how God wants to work in your life. It's how he is working in your life, whether or not you're aware of it. But just like any relationship, <clears throat> this is a two-way street. God wants to work in your life like this, but he will only work in your life like this if you say, God, <clears throat> here I am, would you take me to Damascus? This is the road to get there. This is the road that he wants to lead you on of life change, but you have to open up your hands. You have to surrender. You have to say, Jesus, take me, take me to Damascus. Take me wherever you want me to go, Jesus. Jesus, help me to see where I was going the wrong way. Jesus, help me to see your involvement and activity in my life where you stepped in. And God, help me to see my purpose. And God, surround me with the community that can call it out of me and, 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 and support me along the way. Jesus, I let go of control of my life will you take me to Damascus? And if you'll do that, you will see God bless you with the most fulfilling, fruit-bearing, abundant life that you could have ever imagined. And I wanna give you the chance to make that decision today. Maybe, it's a, maybe for some of you, it's the first time. You're gonna say yes to Jesus. We had 12, 15 people last service make that decision, which is crazy. Or maybe for some of you have been following Jesus for a long time, and maybe you fell off that road Right? Jesus said, narrow is the path and few find it. Broad is the path to death and destruction. Maybe you've been off that narrow path for a while and today you need to recommit your life to Jesus. I wanna give you the chance to make either of those decisions. So if you would, stand with me. We do this every single service. If you're, if you're new with us, we take a moment in every service to give people the chance to give their lives to Jesus. And um, we give you privacy because we, we, we believe all great life change begins in a private moment between you and God. We don't make a spectacle of it. We don't ask you to come up front. It's between you and God. And so let's give each other that privacy right now. Bow your heads and close your eyes. <clears throat> if you know that because of what Jesus did for you on the cross, when he stretched his arms out and he died for you, that it was for the forgiveness of all your sins, 
It was so that you would have clear purpose in this life, and it was so that you could be welcomed into his family. And you know, you've been, you've been wandering the wrong way, but today, you wanna say, Jesus, I'm ready. Take me to Damascus. Take me wherever you wanna go. And if you wanna make that decision for the first time, you don't have to have your life cleaned up. You don't have to have the Bible memorized. None of that. It's, it, it's not about being good for him. It's about saying yes to the start of the journey. And if that's you, and you wanna make that decision, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three as a private moment between you and God. One, two, three. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Hands up all over the room. That's so good. Wow. Wow. You can put your hands down. That's beautiful. <clears throat> if you, um, you know that, you know you believe in Jesus, Maybe you made a decision for him a long time ago, but you've just fallen off, off the path. And you're ready to say, I'm done with those old ways. I'm done with walking on my own. I wanna get back on the road to Damascus. I wanna follow Jesus again. And if you wanna recommit your life to him, again, it's, it's not about being perfect. It's not about proving yourself to him. You, the audition is over in your life. Jesus knows everything about you and he loves you all the same. And if you wanna recommit your life to Jesus today, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Beautiful. Hands up all over the room again. Man, so good. Amazing. Put your hands down. Let's pray and let's thank Jesus for what he did. <clears throat> Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus, Jesus, we love you. And we're so thankful that you didn't leave us to walk these paths alone. You didn't leave us to to sit in a life of mediocrity, but you came and you stepped into our lives and you paved a way for us to get back to our God-created, God-given purpose and potential. We're so thankful. We're thankful that we don't have to worry about you being some distant God who's unconcerned with us. No, you're intimately involved with our lives and our, and our circumstances and our situations. God, we thank you for that. And God, I thank you for every person that just made a big, big decision God, we know that like you taught the story of the farmer who sows seed along the ground, that some of it takes roots and some of it doesn't. God, I'm praying that every decision today takes roots, that it leads to, to real life change, real life transformation today. And uh, Jesus, we just trust you. We trust that you're gonna keep growing our church the right way. You're gonna keep us all on the straight and narrow path. We're gonna cling to each other. We're gonna lock arms with one another and we're gonna make it through this life together and fulfill the God-given potential that you've given us. God, we know it. We believe that's possible, Jesus. And so we thank you for that, and we thank you for how your spirit worked in the room today. We don't take it for granted. This does not happen all over the place, God. We thank you that you're working here, and so we stand in the confidence and conviction of your love for us, that your spirit is alive and well in this place, and that you have changed lives on this day. And we celebrate that in the powerful name of Jesus together by saying... Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for weekly recordings of Sunday service and follow us on Spotify and Apple Music for weekly audio recordings and podcasts.